You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this episode of Mama's Talking Loud. I'm Jessica Rush. And I'm Kara Cooper. Last week, Jessica and I had the honor of moderating a panel for Women's Day on Broadway. Founded by a previous guest of Mama's Talkin' Loud and Senior Vice President of Disney Theatrical Group, Ann Court, Women of Broadway builds a community of female-identifying people who are working in, or fans of, the Broadway, off-Broadway, and professional theater industry. Each event they host is meant to offer an opportunity to share experiences, struggles, and victories with the goal of supporting each other to make our industry stronger. This year, for the first time ever, the struggle of the working mother was brought to the forefront, highlighting how this pandemic has disproportionately affected those who are trying to manage not only a career and parenthood, but the social reckoning that our nation and industry is undergoing. Our conversation was one of truth, both in pain and hope. In case you missed the event, here is our panel, Broadway Moms, How Life Goes On When the Show Doesn't. Hello, everyone, and welcome. Uh, First of all, thank you so much to Anne and Women of Broadway for creating this forum, and most importantly, for giving space and time to the motherhood struggle and juggle, something that is intrinsic in the woman experience. And thank you for tuning in. Jessica and I are so happy to have you join us virtually from all over the world in this conversation surrounding how the pandemic has disproportionately affected specifically female identifying women, mothers, and artists, communities to which we all belong. Kara and I are aware that we can't possibly know or comprehend the struggles of all, not to mention the greater struggles of our world during this time. Whether you are alone and feeling isolated or working on the front lines and trying to balance that and the safety of your family, or just stuck at home with your kids and loved ones, (laughs) we think it is incredibly important to acknowledge that all of our journeys have worth and are valid. And to quote our fellow Broadway mom turned therapist, Lisa Guida, it is possible and we must hold space for both during this time. So let's get started. Sharing their stories of motherhood during this interminable intermission for our community are a panel of varied and extraordinary women. And we are so lucky to have them with us here today. Please welcome 
Julia Jones, Broadway stage manager of over 30 years, Vanessa Javier, group director of Sereno Coin, Tanya Burl, movement director, and Tony award-winning actresses, Lara Benanti and Karen Olivo. If we were doing this live, there'd be a giant round of applause. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome. We're so happy you're here. Um, we'd like to begin with a brief overview for those listening and watching. If you could tell us your role in the industry before COVID hit, and then tell us what you're doing now. Are you still active in the business in some way, or have you had to pivot? Laura, let's start with you. So um, I'm Laura Benanti. I'm an actress. Um, I do a lot of Broadway and and TV and stuff. And before the pandemic, I was, I was doing a lot of TV and movies and stuff, which was exciting. Um, but my heart's always gonna be on Broadway um, for sure. And when the pandemic hit, I was actually supposed to go to Chicago and film a pilot. And then um, I was on my way to the airport with my family when they called and they were like, we're gonna just pause for a couple of weeks, which of course turned into forever. Um, so, um, you know, as most people in our industry, I pivoted pretty quickly into trying to be as of service as much as possible. So I did like a, a hashtag on social media called Sunshine Songs um, and, and spoke to kids who were not able to perform in their schools and asked them to post um, their performances, which turned into like a really amazing thing, which turned into these free online concerts for um, senior citizens and hospitalized children. Um, which I was really proud of. And then it became a, a documentary on HBO Max that I um, created and produced called Homeschool Musical Class of 2020. So um, I think my husband calls me a pathological helper. So I think for me in moments of crisis, the way for better or for worse, the way that I am prone to deal with that is by um, trying to do a lot of things. And um, while it, that keeps me busy, I do think it is like um, a little bit of a coping mechanism that is not so healthy because although it is like trying to be of service and I do think that like my, my heart is in the right place in terms of that, I then my bandwidth gets really, really low. Um, and then I, I sort of crash and burn. <laughs> Um, so I feel like I entered into the pandemic being like, I'm going to save everyone with musical theater. And now I'm like, should, can I wear pants with a zipper? And the answer is no. Um, so that's where I'm at. But so I have, have been very fortunate in that I have been filming. I started filming like in September. And so I've been filming some shows, which has been really great but all of the live performances have been canceled and that's been really challenging. And certainly um, it's been really challenging for my family. Um, and I feel like I'm talking too much. So can somebody else talk about themselves? <laughs> Not at all. I mean, I think it's really interesting that you brought up coping mechanisms and that's something that we're gonna hit on a little bit later um, because I think this time has really brought that to light for all of us. Uh, Vanessa, can you tell us a little bit about what you do and how that has changed during this time? Sure. Um, my name is Vanessa Javier. I have two little ones, a uh, four-year-old and a six-year-old. They were five and three when the pandemic started. Um, I'm a single mom and I work as a group director at Sereno Coin, which is a Broadway advertising agency and also does tourist attraction and live entertainment in general. 
So I work on the account management side and account management is a bit um, more client facing and we handle kind of all of the pieces, right? So we're making sure that everyone is on brand, on strategy and that tickets are getting sold. Um, and so seeing creative developed and then what does that mean in terms of uh, creating a communications plan that's integrated and getting people to know about the properties. Um, so pandemic hit and what did that mean when there's no shows playing? Um, I've also been fortunate in our agency is still open. Um, we're still we're still working. Um, you know, lots of plans on how do we come back? How do we get people to come back to the theater? How do we make them feel safe? Um, what does that look like? And so while it's not as busy as the day-to-days would have been pre-COVID, I was able to also take this time and pivot a bit even within my agency. So I've been able to uh, take on some more work and spearhead initiatives specifically in the diversity, equity and inclusion space for our agency. So um, that's been a way that I've been trying to also help like Laura was saying, right? Like how do we take this moment and change and really learn and grow? And so I've been able to, to grow that piece of it. So that's how I've pivoted. That's fantastic. Um, how about you, Julia? Can you share with us a little bit pre, pre-COVID and now? Uh, Pre-COVID, I was, uh, I'm a production stage manager and I was slated to open MJ on Broadway in August. Um, obviously, <laughs> that didn't happen. Um, and since COVID, uh, I've definitely pivoted. I've helped people move. I've been painting interiors. I've uh, done a lot of just cash gigs to sort of uh, try to make ends meet. But um, I'd say probably the biggest change is being a full-time mom because I have three not little ones. I have three enormous teenagers. <laughs> uh, yeah, that, yeah, I feel like everybody's hinting at what we're going to continue to talk about and all the questions that we have planned, but um, we're going to talk about how our views of motherhood have shifted during this time because we haven't had work in the, the forms that we have been used to, right? Uh, Tanya, how about you? Can you tell us a little bit uh, pre-COVID, what you were up to and what you've been up to now. Yeah, thanks for um, having me. I feel like this is the first uh, motherhood panel for like, this is the panel I'd wanna be on. So I feel deeply honored to be here. Um, yeah, so my name is Tanya Burrell. I am an embodied black woman and mother of two free black children. And I totally stole that from um, Ashley C. From she's a writer for um, Lovecraft Country. Um, if you haven't seen Lovecraft Country, do um, because you know raising um, two black girls in this world right now is a full time job. So that's my full time job. Um, but before the pandemic, I am and was a movement director and choreographer, mostly for nonprofit theater and doing um, socially conscious work or work that really invites uh, diversity to the table. So I work, I would say my roots are in Broadway, but when I chose 
to go into this direction, um, I work a lot less, but I work more intentionally. So majority with um, women of color. Um, and so right before the pandemic, I was at uh, Oregon Shakespeare Festival choreographing Peter and the Starcatcher, um, but under the artistic direction of Nataki Garrett and um, working alongside another uh, beautiful woman of, of color. And I had taken my daughter out of school who is um, in second grade now, she was in first grade. And then I had at the time a seventh month old with me and I was pumping and breastfeeding and my husband was with us and my mom was with us. We were all in Ashland and we opened the show and they had one performance post-opening and everything shut down. Um, and so then we came back and my daughter was excited to get back to school and she saw her friends, I think for one afternoon and then that was it. Um, so just, it's been insane. And since how I've pivoted, I mean, I was working, I had started a company called So Humanity, which bridges you know, creativity, um, spirituality and social justice. And I was doing work, but not, not full-time obviously because choreography and, and movement direction was what I was doing more of. Um, but I feel like this pandemic was a wide gaping opportunity for me. I know Laura and I have connected since the pandemic. She's been really supportive of a lot of the work that I've been doing. Um, and so it's taken place in the form of different workshops on embodying um, the charge of race and using um, embodiment and uh, being in the body to approach um, how we just tackle these, the triple pandemic we're in uh, right now. Uh, so yeah, that, that's where I'm at. And, but honestly, my, again, my full-time job right now is like being a math tutor to my, to my second grader. I mean, the reality right now is like my husband's doing alternate side parking with her doing her class on a phone and the baby taking a nap in the back seat. And then they come, I mean, that's just the reality of my life. So I'm, 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 I'm doing all of it at once and it, and it's crazy, but, um, but I also feel really passionate about, um, about the work that I am doing. Uh, I mean, I think it's so interesting. We're in this time where we all do, we are all doing all the things, right? <laughs> like juggling more than we've ever juggled before, but, and something we're gonna talk about is kind of what drives us to be able to accomplish those things, right? What is that driving passion that's making all these things possible? Um, and Karen, can you tell us a little bit about you? I think probably most people know you were, very busy in Moulin Rouge when the uh, shutdown happened, but you've been busy as well since it has uh, not been in performance. So can you share with us a little bit? Yeah, sure. I'm Karen Olivo. I use she, they pronouns. I'm on the ancestral land of the Ho-Chunk. I'm a parent of two teenagers. Uh, and uh, when the uh, pandemic struck, I was uh, starring on Broadway in Moulin Rouge as Satine. And uh, one day I had a job, the next day I didn't have an industry. So I came home and luckily for me, um, because I live in Madison, Wisconsin, um, I had been missing my kids. I was, they were sort of growing up and I was only able to see them when we could get them to New York. And I'd been in New York for a while. So um, I was sort of able to have something that I was actually missing. Um, and I got to be thrust into these teenagers' lives yet again, um, thinking that I, I actually wanted it and then getting here and being like, oh, it's actually incredibly hard. <laughs> they're, you know, uh, they're like really smart adults now. 
And here I am, um, you know, seven shows a week is one thing uh, and full-time parent to teenagers is a completely different thing. Um, I pivoted in um, starting a grassroots organization, Artists for Economic Transparency, that looks at a financial structures in our industry to um, start a dialogue about inequity. And uh, then I started teaching at uh, Cincinnati Conservatory of Music. And I've been teaching all over the place. I actually started, I'm also going back to school as I'm teaching. <laughs> uh, you know, just like a handful of things I thought, you know, just in a pandemic, be a mom, go back to school, teach, start a not-for-profit. What else was I gonna do if I wasn't gonna be on stage? So yeah, that's me in a nutshell. Well, I think there's an underlying theme here that everybody is busier than they've ever been, right? You are truly doing more than we've ever had to do or called ourselves into action to do, right? Jess, how about you take it away? Yeah, for sure. I mean, Kara and I talk about this often, whether it's with the podcast or just the things that we've created in this time as well. It's like we're all busier than we've ever been. Um, and which is crazy. Otherwise, I'd just be doing eight shows a week and not worrying about it. Um, so both of you, Karen and Tanya, you both have touched on this. And this next question um, is going to be coming your way. We, so many of us as artists have lost what drives us, right? The, at our core, sort of um, our sole purpose as artists. And we've had to find new passions and new purpose, whether it's for the basic need of just surviving financially, just to make ends meet or to find fulfillment emotionally and spiritually. Um, for instance, I, I launched a bespoke jewelry business that gives back with my six-year-old daughter, Elliot, because if we're going to be doing activities on lockdown, we might as well <laughs> have a purpose to it. Right. Um, but I know that, uh, Tanya and Karen, you both have launched new workshops and organizations during this time. And will you share a bit about affect and empowering change and what it's been like to discover, um, the new passions and purpose, maybe Karen, if you want to just keep going from uh, where you touched on it before? Yeah, sure. I mean, I think one of the things that I noticed about uh, my industry is that I knew so little about it. And then once I started to actually do some research, when I felt like there was really no safety net and my industry was gone in an instant, um, I started to look at structures and then I started to actually, it was right around the time that George Floyd was murdered and all our entire world started to, if you, if you did not already experience racism, you started to actually understand a different level of racism. And so I started to do the thing that most of us have started to do, which was look at myself and how I'd been complicit and what my proximity to whiteness had actually done for me and how I'd been able to profit in this industry where so many people who have darker skin cannot even gain admittance. So that's where um, affect change sort of came to be. I thought, well, if we can start talking about inequity on a wide scale, if we just start to have a dialogue, then we can look at these structures that are really antiquated and we can start to come up with ideas on how we can change them. Um, my learning is not even close to being done because as we all know, like as we start our anti-racist practice, there's so much internal work that has to be done as we try to decolonize ourselves. So I feel like, you know, I'm in school right now, but I'm also in school to like really learn, relearn how to be the right kind of human being for this world. Um, yeah, but, so that's really, that's really it. We've, we've done a handful of campaigns about educating people about existing structures, 
Um, we're working on a rider right now for the live entertainment industry to protect spaces when we start to go back to work to protect bodies and spaces and make it something that's contractual so that we don't really have to necessarily worry in spaces because it's contractual. Um, and hopefully that uh, takes off and people start to adopt it and people can go back to work and just do the work that they love instead of having to worry about whether or not they're being treated properly. Absolutely. That's incredible. I mean, that's as I think that it is frustrating and disappointing that we have to make it a contract that it's not a, a way that we just are in the world. But like you said, so much unlearning and, um, and listening is being done. And I think that the contract is a great way to act, you know, initiate real change right away in a very concrete um, form. So Tanya, will you tell us a little bit about the work you've been doing as well? Yeah. Um, it's so interesting, Karen, just like <laughs> piggyback what I'm doing is not at all. It doesn't seem aligned, but something that's come up for me a lot in this embodiment work has been, um, economic justice and spiritual reparations. And like, what are the implications of, of spiritually giving back and taking back what was taken? And um, I just feel, even though I don't know the dollars and cents of it, like it's, a, it's also like a spiritual work that we're like taking back what, what was taken. So I just wanted to acknowledge that in your work. Um, so for my work, it's so interesting because I had a good friend of mine, um, a producer, Danny Davis, say to me before my first daughter was born, that your biggest uh, work relationships will come from your kids' friends. I mean, your kids' parents. Like your kids' parents are gonna end up being your like everything. And so the beginning of So Humanity for me started, as everyone has their story, the morning after the 2016 election and my daughter's um, preschool, all the mothers were together like weeping in a, in, in a room for our kids. And then I went to go get on the train to go downtown for a rehearsal and there was another mom who was in the room with me and she said, well, what do you do for a living? And I said, oh, I'm a choreographer, I'm a dancer, a movement director. And she says, oh, that's really cool. I'm in um, systems change and movement work and choreography is at the heart of what I do. And I was like, oh, how? And she was like, I build movements. It's mo like you have a language for movement and it's such a heady world of thought leaders and, and systems to systemic change if you could bring what you know in your body to this work, like you could make some serious waves. And I was like, that was the beginning of So Humanity. And so I said to her, what do I do? Do I go to school? What do I do? And she said, which was just, this is how women do. She was like, I'll teach you everything I know and you teach me everything you know. And we've become best friends since. We collaborate. We just got off a call yesterday with like thought leaders from around the world. like. So this is the beginning of my work of owning the fact that I am a black woman, I am a root worker, that I know my body, that this, it's about me getting free first and then everyone else, like you're welcome. Um, you know, that that is the beginning of this work. And the, what it looks like is, so just this past week, I finished doing a workshop with Maestra and I know Georgia is a good friend of, of some of us on the, on the call. Um, with, with Maestra and her organization on embodying the charge of race. So, White bodies who don't realize that there's a charge that they're holding, it's time to hold what's yours. 
black bodies, brown bodies, bodies of culture. It's time for us to recognize how much of it en encapsulates us and give back what's not ours to hold anymore and to, to transform because transform what it is because what that charge is when it's used well and used correctly, not even well, is just latent power, it's energy. And so it's about learning how to shift that and put it back into the world. So it's some witchy work that I do. <laughs> it's some it's some straight up witchy work that I do, um, but I'm learning how to own it. And I'm really excited as I come back, when, when Broadway comes back and when theater comes back, like I used to be like, this is my choreographer, Tanya. And this is witchy root worker, Tanya. And now it's like, sorry, like she's coming into all the spaces. So, um, so that, that's, that's, that's what my work looks like. Yes. Bring the witchy power. We, that is when, you know what? Women are magic. Women are witches and we're magic and we can make change happen. And it all starts with us in these kind of conversations. Thank you. I just got so, I, witches. <laughs> we're going to take a quick break. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So let's, let's shift a little bit back to this kind of motherhood <laughs> struggle that we all have been in during this time. Um, Laura and Vanessa specifically, you have continued to work very much so in the same capacity as you did prior to the pandemic. So that I'm sure has come along with its own set of struggles about how you are juggling being a mother during this time. Um, what have you found most difficult? What coping mechanisms have you used besides coffee and wine? Um, and some things that we've already talked about, but what have, you know, we've all had those moments. I know I have where I've been like crying in a ball on the floor. Like I can't do this another day, right? So let's talk about how you have gotten through that and still maintained the work that you were doing prior to COVID. Vanessa, you want to take us away? Sure. Um, yeah. So still working, but it's now integrated this new thing of working from home. Right. And suddenly the space that was, you know, where you were very like, this was your workspace and this is your home space. They've now enter, you know, locked in and they've all become one. Um, so that's been like just a mindset change. And then you add to that the kids also working from home and trying to somehow do all the things simultaneously, right? So being a mom has always been tough and we've all always juggled 30 billion things at one time and we always figure it out. Moms are the most resourceful, inventive uh, 
women and creatures in the world because it's just about we got to get it done we got to figure it out and so now the difference is just how are we doing all of those jobs and roles and and functions at the same exact time and some days are easier than others right i think we've probably all experienced a zoom call where a kid runs in and says something very inappropriate <laughs> or you know something that you would have never experienced in the office and you have to just learn to roll with the punches so to speak and what i've really worked on it's internal work of, of giving myself a pass and, and grace to say some days are going to be okay some days are not and sometimes you're going to get upset at yourself right like you might get really worked up and and not uh, express yourself in the best way you wanted with your kid and snap and that happens you feel terrible after that but it happens and giving yourself the space to say that's okay um, I think the hardest part has been the constant pivot and change, right? So just every time we think it's kind of set, like for me, uh, there was a moment where blended school was a thing. We were doing it, it was blended, like great. It was rough in the beginning, but we got it like settled and sorted out. And then just in an instant, it changed. And it was then no school or five days of school and just the constant shifting your mind and teaching your kids, taking this as an opportunity to teach them how to deal with that too, right? Because at those young ages, especially sex schedule and structure so important to them. And so having really, I've, I think I've found that in this time, it's allowed me to really have really open, honest communications with my kids, even though they're young, it's like now's the time to have those conversations and to say, you know what, things don't always work out in exactly the way we want or expect them to be. And like, you just got to learn to, to go with it and, and see what is the opportunity there or how can I shift and having those really open co communications. I think for me, that's helped like as a coping mechanism almost like to, to just create a space for my kids where we're just really open and honest and acknowledge like how we're living is not typical. Um, and no one's like gone through this in our, in our lifetime. So we're all figuring this out together and like inviting them on that journey with me. Um, even though they're young, like we're in this together, we're a family. And at the end of the day, we have each other. Like that's been a, a big coping mechanism for me. I love that. And that, that is definitely something that I have experienced as well. Like my kids seeing me at my worst in, in a way that I never thought that they would. Um, and being able to have the conversation of, this is really hard for me. I'm gonna get through it, just like you're gonna get through something that's really hard for you. And I also think it kind of parallels and mirrors the situation that we're in where the parenthood struggle is being brought to the forefront because there is no division between work and parenthood, right? It's all kind of converging in one place. So it's creating this forum where you have to talk about it. These, these times in the past of being like, no, I got this all under control, everything's fine. I'm not gonna talk about the fact that I'm a mother or a parent. That Those times don't exist anymore, right? It's all about putting it all out there and understanding that we're all human and we're all dealing with different set of struggles and a different set of circumstances. Um, Laura, how about you chime in a little bit too? I'd love to hear from you. So my four-year-old is here with me. <laughs> this is like basically my life is like a pretty background, but then you're just like, nope, just kidding. It's trash <laughs> behind here. Um, so similarly to Vanessa, I feel like my work has been, um, Hi, Ella. The work <laughs> has been sort of my own 
internal work um, of realizing that I can't give my daughter what I don't have, you know? So if I'm asking her to manage her emotions, if I'm asking her to self-regulate, I have to embody that to use Tanya's phrasing. And as I said earlier, I'm a person who um, busies myself and I'm, and I move quickly and I do a lot of things at once. And I think in some ways that's enabled me to, um, sorry, just bouncing on my bed, um, has enabled me, no, thank you, sweetheart. Thank you so much. Has enabled me to um, like persist in some behavior that I'm not proud of, that's not helpful to me. That's not my heart. That's not like my, at the essence of who I am as a person. But, but was sort of um, an effect, like it, it was, um, what's the word that I'm trying, it's not excuses, but reasons. Like there are reasons why I was behaving in such a way that I like, I'm not proud of and looking back. Um, I feel like the person that I am now versus the person that I was 10 years ago, like I barely recognize her um, in a way that makes me happy and glad because she was a hot mess. Um, so I really use this time to try, once I stopped being like, I'm gonna do everything. And, and then it was just really quiet, other than obviously this all the time. Um, it, it for me was like a breaking point that became an opening um, where I was allowed, and, and Tanya, what her work has really helped me in that way. Um, in terms of allowing myself to be so beaten that I'm soft, that I'm like tenderized meat. Um, and to look at myself as a ho holistically and the parts that work and the parts that don't work, the parts that don't serve me anymore, um, both from like an interpersonal perspective and then also from like a community and global perspective, how I align myself with the patriarchy and white supremacy you know how i've benefited to karen's point how i've benefited from that system and how i have knowingly or unknowingly used it as a tool in my life um and because being the mother to ella is the most important work i do seeing how fallible i am on a day-to-day -day basis has really been a challenge it has really been deeply difficult to look at and to look at myself in the mirror and be like, oof, I like 30% of you, you know, and be like, but I have an opportunity for the rest of my life every day and multiple times throughout the day to say like, okay, I don't like how this is going, but I'm going to reboot. And, you know, Ella has her own particular um, challenges that are not mine to not my story to share. She can share those when she gets older if she wants to, but it makes, um, it sort of doubles down on the challenges of being a parent. Um, and so for me, it has been, how do I, how do I drop into my own body, see myself for who I am, see myself for who I want to be, and then begin to model myself 
in a way that is meaningful to me, spiritually um, and then behaviorally, and then how I am able to um, give that to my daughter, um, to model that for her. So interesting that you say that you're bringing uh, me to our next point, but kind of this way that our children reflect back to us our strengths and our weaknesses in such a powerful way, right? In this time, we don't have the ability to escape that ever, right? So you're constantly getting this input from your offspring of what you're good at and what you're really not good at, right? Um, which kind of brings me to uh, a question for you, Julia. Um, I am a mother of a special needs child. And the beginning of this time was... I don't even know if I have the words, but we were stripped of the normal supports that we had in place to um, give my child the ability to mm, be successful in the world and for us as a family to be successful. And those supports were taken away abruptly, like for everybody. Um, so it was really difficult, but I also found the time really enlightening, like you were talking about, Laura, this... Um, I got a new perspective on my child. I was able to see her for longer periods of time and really understand what makes her tick and what, what's good for her and what's not for, good for her. And it's, it's made me such a better parent. I'm moving forward armed with more information to be a better advocate and also just to know her better. Um, mm -hmm. Julia, I know if you feel comfortable talking about it, two of your three kids are special needs. Mm -hmm. Have you <clears throat> experienced this? Has your shift of how you view motherhood or, or has your view of motherhood shifted during this time? Because I know that mine has specifically in regards to my special needs child. Um, so many things have shifted in regards to motherhood during this time for me. It's, <clears throat> it would be uh, such a long, boring story, but um, my I had several shifts. Okay, I came to parenting through foster parenting. Um, my wife and I were, had been foster parents for 17 years. Um, and we are adoptive parents for our three kids. We, we've had them since we brought them home from the hospital. They've been with us, um, but through the foster care system. And then we adopted them. Um, and my kids do have special needs. I have uh, autism spectrum disorder and um, uh, with comorbidities and uh, bipolar disorder. And, and um, which by the way, those are like really bad combinations in teenagers. It's a, it's a nightmare. Um, but um, the biggest shift for me was also around the murder of George Floyd. Um, my children are black, um, and it took on, while, while it's been something that I've, I've really worked to put in the forefront for them as far as pride and, and in knowledge and confidence in who they are, <clears throat> it particularly made me very it made me take on a new motherhood, especially for my 16 year old son, who um, is autistic and is what they call high functioning, 
um, for whatever that's worth. That's not a real thing. Um, so all of a sudden I learned, in fact, my wife says uh, it, that high functioning is an oxymoron because he still runs into cognitive walls all the time. And knowing that there are people out there who could meet him and misunderstand him and his size and and what could happen to him in an instant is has really taken my parenting in a whole different direction um, and a better direction. And then with homeschooling and also reinforcing by seeing that where he is cognitively and and really embracing that. I, I feel like being forced into this life where before as a stage manager, eight shows a week, rehearsals, three, four days a week, I, I wasn't home. I wasn't home. I um I had a good relationship with my kids, but birthday parties were in the morning before they went to school. Um, and now I'm reinventing my relationship with my kids. I'm discovering a whole new aspect and learning how to raise them in a world that, quite frankly, I'm not very proud of. And so it's it's finding a way to give them some pride and and um, some joy, and which has been tricky, I have to say, between being locked in and being afraid, uh, it's been a lot to navigate. It's so interesting that you bring that up, that feeling of how the world is going to perceive your child, right? Um, based not only on the color of their skin, but all, also how they're able to interact with the world. I mean, I know that for me, when I read Elijah McLean's story, I wept in my bed nightly just because I, I don't have a child who, whose skin is dark, but I have a child who is misunderstood, right? Who cannot interact with people in the way that they expect. And that, so it was so easy for me to empathize with that situation. Um, but I do think what you're talking about, this kind of like diving in to parenthood in a way that we haven't, we haven't done. And it's been an incredible gift, I think, during this time. It has not felt that way, <laughs> a lot of it. Um, but that's, right? That, that, that need to flee the scene when things are really difficult. And that I know for me has been a coping mechanism, um, right? It's like, I can go to work and for a second, I can play a part on stage and be somebody else. I don't have to deal with my problems, right? Or even the problems of the world, right? Yeah. So it's really, um, I think that that has been a, a gift of this time. Um, would anybody else like to answer how their view of motherhood has shifted during this time? Go for it, Tanya. I would love to hear from you. I, I just want to um, say that my heart was burning the entire time you were speaking, Julia. And I just wanted to like, it's so hard because we're on Zoom. So I just wanted to like reach out. <laughs> so I just wanted to say that. Um, I also wanted to share something 
personal, but I think hopefully maybe this can be something for um, for your children, Julia, take it or leave it. But my break, like what Laura was talking about, like that breaking moment um, was this Sunday morning in the pandemic and I was, everything was up, 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 up. And then I just screamed at the top of my lungs. I am not a robot. I am not a robot. In, and my littlest one, who's who was like one and a half at the time, looked at me. I thought it was fear, but afterwards and reflecting on it with, with friends and my therapist and <laughs> um, it was this, what I'm now calling this gaze of grace. This like, thank you, particularly being, being a black woman and a mother who is not just saying to my kids, I am not a robot, but is like screaming to the world. Like when you said about high functioning and like that made me just, because this need to not only be a black boy, but to be high functioning, I am not a robot. And how that was probably the most, maybe will be the most spiritually like break open that I've ever experienced to be able to be a black body who can say that out loud. And so now I'm, I've chosen that with my kids, they now can see, I didn't know my mother was not perfect, was well, not perfect, but did not have it controlled into till I was like 27 and deep in therapy. Like this woman kept it so tight and right because, because the world said she had to, like you cannot. And I think what's liberating for black children right now is that yes, we are fearful as parents that the world's gonna eat them alive. But at the end of the day, the more they can own the fact that they are not a robot and that they get to dictate their wholeness and, and their what health means for them, that it's not an on-off switch, that it's like an ever-evolving thing. That to me was my most liberated parenting moment, even though at the time I felt like I was losing my mind and I traumatized them. I really feel like um, I just wanted to share that with you. Yeah. No, thank you. That's, yeah, that's an amazing way to think about it. Oh my God. This is, this is incredible. This, these moments right here of connection with other mothers, with those who are maybe um, on a different journey than you have, but also finding that common thread with one another and being able to connect and empower and comfort and bring our own experiences to the forefront and to, to the stories of others is so special. And thank you, Tanya, for, for jumping in and responding to Julia for sure. And for Julia, for sharing, for all of you for sharing. Um, we're coming up to the close, but throughout 2020 um, and the whole pandemic, we've struggled as a world, but more specifically um, in response to the murder of George Floyd and the awakening and outcry for social justice within our country, the Broadway community itself has also undergone an enormous and very late in coming um, reckoning of sorts, right? With regard to uh, the discussion of social and racial equity and equality and how we will move forward when we return to our theater homes. Um, I'm sure so 
all of us have so many feelings with regard to getting back into the theaters and things we can't wait to return to that we're really excited about and things that we're apprehensive about as well. And so just before we close, um, we're running, we're running short on our time, but before we close, how are each of you feeling about coming back? Because I'm finding when I discuss it with my friends in the business, we all are looking at it very differently. Karen, maybe jump us off. Uh, I think that I'm, uh, I feel like I've done the hardest work of my life outside of the theater. And I now know that like my position in the theater is um, a little bit more of not only to do what I do well, but to be a little bit more of a role model and educate as I do it. And so luckily a lot of the organizations that, that I've been working with and even producers, they, they're making great changes. And so really, I feel like going back to the theater will be um, a little bit of like a it's going to be the kind of party that uh, you're excited to be at because you can't wait to see the changes that you've all been working on. So almost like an accountability measure, like I can't wait to be a part of this thing to create the new thing. Um, there, I don't have a lot of feelings of um, nostalgia. I don't ever want to do what we did before. I can't wait to see this new thing that's about to happen. So that's how I look at it, I think. Vanessa, sorry, I was saying, I'm just going to go around my little box. I see you're down next. <laughs> Got it. Um, I, I echo what Karen said. I, 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 um, I am hopeful and excited to see how the industry will change and grow and how we can all help that. Um, so I'm, I'm more hopeful and excited. Awesome. Laura, you're next in my box. I am... Um... In some ways, I feel like it's not for me to speak to because I have been part of um, like a very particular Broadway um, that is, it's necessary for it to shift and change. Um, and I wanna be a part of that. And I look forward to knowing how I can be helpful in that way. I've certainly um, been doing my best to try and educate myself during this time as so many of us have. Um, I will say I do look forward to just seeing friends again, our theater friends, our theater people. I think it's a very specific and special community to be a part of, you know, I feel like we're all sort of in it for the love. Um, and I miss having so many people working toward one thing. So many diverse, different people from all different backgrounds with the sole purpose of putting on a show. I really, really miss that. And I'm excited to be a part of that again someday in whatever capacity. Me too, I miss it so much. Tanya, will you jump in and let us know how you're feeling? Yeah, it's my entire family just walked in the door. So um, she might come visit. <laughs> From the car. Um, okay, so how am I feeling? Ooh, I'm feeling mixed. I'm feeling a lot of what Karen said she's feeling. Like, I'm excited for what's new. Uh, I'm newer in this world of movement direction and choreography. So I'm also excited to work for people to be like, let's give, like, let's give this black woman a shot. <laughs> like, we're gonna be 100% honest. Um, yeah, I, I'm... I'm excited. I'm excited. And um, I'm embracing the unknown of it. I also am not naive. 
that change does not go and that we're gonna have to um, build our stamina in uh, the work of Resma Menicum. Um, he does a lot of abolition work around somatics and it's about doing the reps. He says like, you gotta do the reps. Like if you don't think you're gonna come in and have to be like, like we gotta do our reps, we gotta rest, do some more reps. And so um, I'm, I'm aware is what I'm aware what I am. And Julia, you're right. Um, I'm excited to take, uh, I am in the middle and I've been in the middle for years. So um, of writing a book called The Tao of Stage Managing. And um, it has shifted a lot over this last uh, really year and a half, but this last year it has shifted and my feelings about what I do have shifted a lot. And I'm looking forward to putting those into practice and and making myself better within this environment. I really am. Like, I, I can't wait to try to put what I've learned into making myself a better manager and a better person for the people I'm working with. Awesome. Incredible. Well, I, I'm, I know I speak for Jessica as well. This has been unbelievably powerful, more so than I think we ever thought it could have been. Um, thank you so much to our panelists, you guys, for being here and sharing your honesty and your truth um, in this forum. Uh, you know, we are passionate about amplifying everybody's stories um, so that they're heard and understood. Um, and especially in this motherhood journey, what that means and what we carry every day in this life. Um, and it's different for everybody, right? Um, but to make sure that, that those stories are heard um, so we can move forward and make all this change that we've just spoken about. Yes, we. Um, it's something that Kara and I have found the most worth in, to be honest, and the most fulfillment during this past year has been having these conversations and bringing them to the forefront. And, um, and it's something we're super passionate about. And we just want to say thank you that we are sending love and strength to you all, to you here on our panel and to you out there in this world that continues to be um, a struggle in this day. Um, we will get through this. Our hope is that that tiny little glimmer of light we're starting to see at the end of the very long tunnel um, will only shine brighter in the days to come. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. And be well. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Mama's Talking Loud. Special shout outs to Rachel Spencer Hewitt for our fabulous graphic, Kristen Anderson Lopez, Bobby Lopez, and Justin Ward Weber for our awesome theme song, our producers Dory Berenstein, Alan Seals, and of course, the Broadway Podcast Network for bringing us to you. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now 
and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org. Because only together we rise. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.